Since 1929, the Academy Awards have been a staple of the Hollywood brand. But with almost a century of controversies, questionable wins, and lavishness, the question has become, is there a place in art for first place? I'm Thomas Green, and this is Perpetual Cinema, where I am joined by a panel of other lovers of film to look at the past, present, and future of the industry and what keeps the reels turning. So with me tonight to discuss this, I've got uh, two guests that were brave enough to join me on my first show and uh, absolutely fantastic friends. Uh, first, I've got uh, Michael Barone of uh, Mike, Mike and Oscar, one of the quintessential podcasts to listen to out there if you're going to be talking about anything Oscars and award season related. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, Thomas. And then, Andy, it's been fun to meet you in the pre-show here. And yeah, man, I can't wait to talk about uh, all of these insanely important questions that uh, I wrestle with the year-round. Thanks, yes. guys. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Uh, yes, and and also as he put as he said, uh, good friend for a long, for for a few years now. We've got Andy of Geek Salad here as well to to talk on things for us. It, it's an honor to be on the first show, Tom. I'm really excited about this. I think I'm gonna. I, I might turn you into the the Will Ferrell to my Conan O'Brien. Just every single time I have a show, you'll be on the first and last episode. We're just gonna try to make that a thing. Yeah, was I? On the, I wasn't on the last episode. Was you, I? You weren't on the last one, but you were one on the la, one of the last couple. Our our Batman villain episode oh. was one of the last ones. Uh, God, was wow. That, yeah, where, yeah. Take me back. <laughs> can I? Can I be called an OG if I'm on the first episode? Absolutely. Is that, is that what yeah. happened? I'm officially an OG. That's yes. first time. Good. Like you live your life the way you want to live it, man. No one. There's, this is a no judgment zone. Yeah, for for example, me having to take a second to remember what OG stands for. I've just never been an OG before. I'm really thrilled. Uh, it's orange gin uh, for juice. <laughs> oh, that's what it stands for. Shit. <laughs> uh, I, I forgot. I forgot to even ask if we could swear on this podcast. Oh or yeah, do absolutely. You know yet? No, you're Did fine. I just you know, you know Tom. <laughs> yeah. No. I uh, yeah. I'm all about the no filter. Um, so, so obviously, uh, I've got two great, um, two great shows on, on this one, but just in case on, on the random chance that you, you haven't heard of one of these shows, Michael, go ahead and tell them about, uh, your show first, uh, Mike, Mike and Oscar. Well, yeah, we're a year round Oscars podcast. And if you didn't think that was possible, go listen to our podcast. We, uh, we talk about award season, certainly. But uh, there's a bunch of other movie events on the film calendar year that we're going to talk about this entire episode that I think plays in uh, to what ultimately is the Super Bowl of the movie year. And and look, we're uh, we're Mike, Mike and Oscar, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, we've been doing this for five years, have a lot of guests, do a lot of reviews and previews and movie review bundles. Uh I think we do a lot of award show recaps and specials, and we're just having a blast right now. Mike and I have kind of hit our groove. We're like an old married couple. We continue to bust each other's balls, and we're getting into gambling, which is a slippery slope. I don't know what's going on. I'm, just, I'm going to be wearing a barrel pretty soon. But, it's yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I uh, really appreciate you, you giving me the chance to shout it out. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, if you guys uh, if you guys haven't listened to the show or don't listen to it on the regular, it's it is fascinating. It's it is the perfect blend of 
of educational and and enlightening mixed with feeling like you're hanging out with with the guys in the den or something like that. so <laughs> well, it's so it's, it's a great awesome. blend of both of those things so if you haven't had a chance make sure you're listening uh and then uh, andy tell everyone about geek salad so geek salad is um the internet's longest running continually running geek podcast i have no evidence to back that up uh but we've been doing this for almost 15 years unchallenged like everyone we were inspired by gone so it's us and we spend our time talking about movies tv music uh video games uh we we will have food podcasts we do a lot of different uh aspects of it and um we also manage a separate YouTube channel, uh, just on YouTube, the Geek Salad Podcast, where uh, my partner Mike and I uh, review movies. We do a retro movie review, and tying to Oscar season, we are currently doing a month, maybe a month and a half, depending on if we can butt up against the ceremony uh, week, of taking one movie per Oscar decade and discussing it we decided not to go with the 20s because there wasn't a whole lot and uh so we started with the 30s with um it happened one night moving on this week to uh, 1940s rebecca and all right now tentatively on the slate we also have bridge on the river Kwai and the apartment for oh, yeah. the 50s and the 60s yeah so to be i will I'll tell you straight up to be and hbo max are amazing when it comes to movie yes. classics so thank you God. Um, so, yeah, we've been doing that. And, um, yeah, you can get us pretty much wherever you get your podcast. So, essentially, uh, like, I just subscribed to Mike's podcast through Google Podcasts. So, you can get it there. You can get this podcast on Google Podcasts. So, you can get it there. Uh, but we're also on iTunes, uh, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, and our audio does show up on our YouTube channel as well. Yeah, and uh, definitely worth listening. It's it's fantastic listening to uh, them deep dive into everything from their favorite side B hits from records from the seventies to <laughs> their their favorite Saturday morning cartoons and and all the and all the like, and to sit there and and hear your favorites called out or discover one or two new ones that you want to want to go exploring. So definitely worth a listen. Yep, and we got our. Um, we're going to be recording in the next. I think next week we're doing the our music of 1993 as our annual 30 year retrospective. So it'll be fun. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, and now um, yeah. So today we are here to talk just simply to discuss the concept of how important are the Oscars to the industry. And, uh, of course, first we need to get a baseline. So, uh, Michael, how important are the Oscars to the industry? Well, they've brought us uh, one great podcast with two guys named Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, look, it, how important is, is a tough question. It is the question that Mike and I ask the year-round. Look, I think, it's, I think it's still a destination, the Oscars. I think it's still like a watering source. For the industry if the industry is an ecosystem and I, I do think the industry is still an ecosystem that kind of you know it feeds on itself sometimes but it still it still has to work in conjunction with the rest of 
you know, the, the, the players involved and certainly the, the, the major conglomerates that are involved now. And ultimately, when the Oscars started, and it still is true today, it is a promotional stunt. It is a showcase for the quote-unquote, I'm using air quotes here, best films, or in their case, the best film achievements of the year. So guys, like, the Oscars, yes, they, they do account for box office bumps even still even though 2019 it was more pronounced than 2022 (laughs) and i hope it gets back to the to where you know we're getting that fifth seed in best picture making a couple hundred million dollars because we're not there right now but we were there uh, when mike and i started this show or mike mike and oscar that is and look i i ultimately believe that the oscars and I, I see it every year. I don't just believe it. I see it. They provide a lot of structure, guys, to where we have we have an award season known as the precursors, right? Where that's everybody recognizes the precursor season as award season from the Globes through the the actual Oscars. But that's only the end of it. That's from the tail end of the press uh, casting awards through to the academies what happens before that or what happens initially of course is the festivals what happens after the festivals is awards coming from all of the press from the gothams to the globes and it all overlaps and it all bleeds into eventually the industry picking their winners so yes in a cynical sense it's the industry giving itself awards to promote (laughs) the best of its industry but at the same time and i think we're going to wrestle with it today and I'm finishing my rant and my speech, and I thank you both for letting me do it. <laughs> Ultimately, I do think the Oscar season still allows for patronage and still allows for a showcase and a promotion for some of the better films. Do they get the best right? Not always. It's fun to argue about it, <laughs> but they do. They still promote. Okay. And, and uh, Andy? Yeah, I'm actually... Like, I'm going to agree with you on pretty much everything there. I feel like um, one of the big things about what they contribute to the industry is, is that it can, you know, it helps the box office in in some cases more than others in terms of like, you know, it it helped Parasite out like crazy Mm -hmm. um, after after that win. Um, But it also I I feel like it does help mainly actors directors they get more notoriety through it so while it might seem in a lot of senses you know an empty gesture to just you know having the industry uh reward themselves with golden statues um there's still a lot of heft of having academy award winner and in a lot of cases academy award nominee on your resume um i mean we all know amy adams has never won one but she's been nominated what six times and that's that's a big thing that she can still carry the Academy Award six time Academy Award nominee Amy Adams, um, you know, hell Jared Leto has been living off of Academy Award winner Jared Leto for the last nine <laughs> years. <laughs> Got to get that Morpheus uh, <laughs> money right. He's like a cockroach that will not just will not go away. But it's so it it definitely helps. It allows us to see. It, it gives directors who have had um, – they, they get that, that first directorial win. Um, regardless of whether or not you like their work, it allows them to try 
you know, new things. Damien Chazelle is, is one. And I don't know if I'm butchering his name or not. I, I really don't care. But uh, <laughs> did not care for La La Land. But um, it does – it allows him the ability to get bigger and better. And it's it, it's kind of, and I think in that in that instance it does it helps the industry if there are people who are you know able to put this on their resume and be able to to have that honor and you know within the industry it is an honor you, um, it still it still helps them a lot and it, it drives conversation about um, you know are they going to ever do as good as this, better, you know, we see right now we're looking at Kate Blanchett potentially winning her third Oscar. Um, and it's, it's this crazy feeling that, she, you know, as we do this, they're going to rate those Oscars as to where she stands in the Parthenon of great cinematic actresses. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, for, for, for myself, when it comes to this question, um, I always kind of, with stuff like this, I, I like to occasionally play devil's advocate and ask myself some of the uglier questions. Um, but my my mindset for, for years now has been that the, the Oscars are as important as we allow them to convince us they are. Um, it's very similar to, uh, you know, it's very similar to, um, you know, FIFA being in charge of football. You know, it existed before them. They came in and said, we're the, we're the, you know, the be all end all. We're the epicenter. And everyone for, just said, okay. And it's been like that ever since. Now, the Oscars are nowhere near as psychotically corrupt as FIFA. Let me, let me make, <laughs> make, let me make that clear. <laughs> how many I, people had to die to build the Dorothy Chandler Theater? <laughs> how many people had to die just to sweep up? Hollywood Boulevard for a month and a half before the Oscars yeah. living, living in LA and seeing the, uh, the process of getting that block ready for the Oscars. Oh my God. Was yeah. fascinating. It was, you know, I lived there, I lived there for nine years and it never stopped being funny to <laughs> a certain extent because yeah. they just kind of, push everyone away they you know they scrub the whole thing down then they build everything and um yeah uh, that's a fun fact i i worked in a candy store inside the dolby theater and um it was the one time of year that we were closed was during the oscars because oh. none of the businesses are allowed to be open and running during the time obviously um yeah. but the the week before the oscars the security for the Oscars came into our store and they had to see every single door in the entire building to, and every, you know, see everything wow. about the place. So that way they could make sure that, you know, they could see it as a potential out if people needed a quick getaway or mm. to ensure that nobody could get in through us. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of fascinating everything that they go through. But yeah, it's it, it definitely lives in its own importance, but it's not without um, a reality to that. I mean, I I maintain the the most important 
award obviously is best best picture but not for the reasons that we think it's because of how it could shape the industry um yeah you know the as like a smaller scale one like not to keep rubbing salt in the wound for you uh michael because i know this can be a sore spot for for you guys on your show but parasite winning best picture that's the other mike who doesn't like that but okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) i don't want you bringing that back to the show and having him (laughs) like talking a lot about parasite when i'm gone um but that movie wins Best Picture, and we've had, you know, Ready or Not, The Menu, uh, The Hunt. We've had all of these dark comedies making fun of the upper class. Yeah. I don't think we would have had even half of these movies get greenlit if not for Parasite winning Best Picture. Um, but even on a larger scale, the, um, the year that Hurt Locker beat Avatar, it almost completely killed the 3D industry because avatar didn't win and it's i i i've been i argue that we wouldn't have a24 as the juggernaut that it has kind of become as an indie studio without the validity that the academy gave independent films and like low box office films by giving the best picture to hurt locker yeah um so we get a lot of that kind of, you know, you get things like that. You get the animation uh, category being made literally just because they didn't want to nominate Chicken Run um, and all the. So it's it's this category that that shapes so much outside of the industry, but it does so de facto because of the importance that they've given it. Not even the importance that the audiences have given it, because that has fluctuated heavily. It's they themselves um, kind of perpetuating it. Um, now, a, a big question, and this, this is something um, that I th- that I think is kind of crucial to to their existence as a whole, because it's one of the things that that I find a lot of people that are you know less savvy with the industry or la- you know just casual film watchers will occasionally ask, and it's just. Outside of the Oscars, what are you know? What is the Academy contributing to the industry? Outside of that one show, what exactly does the Academy bring to the industry? Um, I've I, I gotta tell you, I've done a lot of research, and they made a museum. It's a big uh, museum. Yes. Yeah. It's a very big museum celebrating how right they were to to give awards to certain movies. <laughs> it sure is purdy. Yeah. Um they have a lot of screenings. Yes, they 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 do a good number of screenings. Um Twitter accounts pretty cool. Yeah. Enjoy that. It's on notifications. <laughs> um <laughs> I I would certainly argue though that they're um their role in terms of uh, media literacy um, and and fueling um, the industry during that off season and like fueling the next generation, um, you know, we get like cute little things like I think it was 
there was the Seth MacFarlane hosted year where all the people that were walking out the Oscars were film students whose short films were picked by the Academy. Yeah. Um, and we do cute little things like that, but we, I mean, I would argue the Academy could be doing tenfold more than that. Yeah. Um, it's the, I mean, I, I think about the only other governing body that, that has kind of a presence outside of its award series season, and that's the, the Tonys. And the Tonys, I wish that the Academy of Motion Arts and Pictures and Sciences are, would, um, would do what the Tonys do in terms of really building up the smaller, you know, in, in the case of the Oscars, the film, you know, the smaller film students. I, I am shocked that there's no institute for them that bring film students in on scholarship or internship and allow them to work alongside uh, Academy Award nominated, at the very least, filmmakers, editors, direct, you know, cinematographers, something that they can kind of get these work programs going and for them to be able to fund scholarships and and i don't know and again i didn't do the research you did on this i don't know if they they contribute those things but when you look at what the tonys do the tonys support smaller theater organizations there are there are scholarships they usually bring the the winners of the grant scholarships out during the awards to to just kind of extol the the good works and virtue of said organization um but I, I would like to see more of that with the academy especially because they're the only two the Tonys and the oscars the only two that kind of have anything like this i don't know i don't know if the grammys have anything like this <laughs> um but and i doubt they do but <laughs> i feel like that's something that they could probably contribute more to um and again it's you know, I'm saying that, but at the end of the day, in terms of what the general public sees, are they even going to see that, or is it still just going to be the award show? Mm-hmm. So, this is a fascinating discussion, and it's something Mike and I have kind of waded into in the past. But I, I do think the Oscars have been going through a, let's say, a transitional period where they have been humbled quite a bit. Yes. And the Academy's been humbled quite a bit because for decades they're on one of the few main networks and during the golden age of cable television, they're getting 40 plus million a year Nielsen ratings, high 30s, whatever, 40s. They vacillated for a while and we've seen now 20 million for a while, 20s and then down into the teens. God forbid we had a 10 million year. And then we're back to 15. And look, I think, I think their their deal is could be revoked with ABC soon. Could be they could get out of it. I mean, I might my, my co-host is a lawyer. He doesn't think they can get out of it necessarily, but he, he thinks this may be the last deal they have with ABC. And all of these great things you guys talk about doing, I believe the Academy has looked at their being so high on the hog that they haven't had to do those things. And maybe now they will have to do those things. Never mind <laughs> the myriad of scandals that they've gone through in recent years. But the, the you're absolutely right. The Academy has done, done very little to promote the youth of the industry beyond, I would say, maybe their 
three short film categories at the Oscars, which is still yeah. bizarre to me. Yeah, because they don't have a break. They don't have breakthrough categories. They don't have first time screenplay or director categories. We don't want the people close enough to get Oscars for that to to reach that level of prestige. No. Yeah. But we'll let the brand spanking new, you know, student filmmakers just out of out of out of college, out of film school, making their first short or two or whatever. We want them to get Oscars. And all right, that's fine. I, I approve of all the youngsters getting work there and and that showcase i do but i you know i had a harebrained half-baked idea going back where yes i want them to get more creative on how to present all 23 categories during the broadcast but that does not mean i want a broadcast filled with acceptance speeches by tech people sound people who don't know how to give a speech in front of a national television audience reading names off of a sweaty piece of paper. I don't want four of yeah. those. Some craftspeople and some below-the-line people do a great job delivering speeches, and they deliver some of the best speeches of the night. But there should be an option, perhaps a student filmmaker-associated option, where let's have a student filmmaker make a tribute acceptance speech, a 30-second mi- montage, a 45-second montage. By the time that person gets up to the stage and gets their hurrah, you got this beautiful short film slash 30 second acceptance speech slash you know a uh, reel for that filmmaker you know broadcast on national television that could have be that could be you know a true short film uh, for the future uh, so I look I agree with you guys wholeheartedly I'm glad we're getting into this territory they do not provide uh, the academy does not uh, uh, beyond some baseless simple nonsense, rules of diversity and inclusion that are just so bland and don't get nearly close to what they should be to really make meaningful change in the the (laughs) business because they do not go far enough beyond those simple silly rules that mike and i have blasted on our show many a times they have not done enough for it for the industry absolutely yeah i like that idea though i I like spicing up what is invariably going to be a dull speech let's do it yeah. You should have your speeches vetted. If you're going to get up there and wear a, read a sweaty piece of paper and just be up there looking like you're constipated, get off the stage. Hook them. Just, you know, you know who's you know who's great at uh, you know who's great at editing a college kid short film and who'd be a great mentor for a college kid short film. The best edit film editing winner at the Oscar. Yeah. yeah. How about that? I don't know. Just a thought. No, I th- I think there's a lot of uh, potential, and I I think it even goes beyond just things like scholarships or, or things of that nature. I'm I'm a a big proponent and and fan of the National Film Registry, and I think the Academy doing things like that themselves in terms of uh, film preservation. You know, we discuss constantly uh, about the. I think the the estimate is now like 85% of films made before 1930 are lost forever because of uh, bad preservation or things like the the Universal Studios lot fire from yeah. uh, the, I think it was the late teens, late 2010s. Um, so, you know, having, having the Academy inve- invest in uh, film preservation that goes beyond just you know, films that have won awards, I think would be, um, you know, w- would be a massive 
thing for them to undertake that would show great. Because again, like, you know, you were talking about, we've got this uh, deal with ABC to air um, the Oscars and it's, you know, it's this like hundred million dollar contract roughly. Um, So that's, that's a lot of money that doesn't all need to go to cardboard, large cardboard versions of the Oscar statue to decorate the stage with. Um, or all of a Dollar Tree's boxes of uh, fairy lights uh, to dangle from the, the stage of the Dolby. Uh, there's there's lots of other things that they can be doing with that money. Um, but I mean, going you know going and going uh, segueing from that whole the you know the ABC you know being on ABC the viewership being down to fifteen point four million uh, for the last Oscars. Um, I mean, are are we at a point where the general public doesn't really care about the awards anymore? Are we at a, at a point where that um, that public interest is is lessening, or or is it possibly growing, or is it living in a in a place of stagnation? Uh, I'm kind of of two minds on this. One half of me tries to place devil's advocate against the declining ratings and say and says what a lot of the think pieces on the the trade say and that's okay the audience is declining the nielsen rating is declining because the audience on network tv has declined the the, the cord cutters have gone to streaming of course it has declined because everything's declining unless it's the super bowl which is the general public caring about one event on broadcast TV, but not as much for for the Oscars. And yet, proportionally, I mean, if you compare the Oscars to the you know the hit sitcom on TV, I mean, there, there's a lot of these studies that have gone on. And, and yes, it is a proportional decline. And I am bullish. I really am. I'm bullish for the fact that if the Oscars are able, and if the SAG Awards are able to get in front of the audience, like the Screen Actors Guild is going to do next year on Netflix, get in front of a couple hundred million subscribers, hopefully their number is better, and hopefully you can regrow the audience back again. But the truth of the matter is, uh, these, this audience has declined for many reasons. It's declined for, for the cord cutting and for the showcase that it's not getting to is not getting anymore, like I said, based on the whole shift in the, in the industry. But it's also declined because of the scandals, <laughs> the scandals one after another. Oscar so white uh, from. I mean, I don't think it's good publicity that your lead actor winner slapped one of your former hosts. Yeah, last yeah. year. I don't think that was a good thing. And I'll tell you though, Mike, that kept me watching. I was like, yeah. okay, we're gonna watch this award, yeah. and then we're gonna go to bed. Well, I'm invested now. Fuck me. I'm just going to yeah. sit here and watch the whole thing now. And look, just because I may agree with some of the politics being spoken out there, but I do think the politicized nature of the Oscars has turned a lot of, I don't want to say middle America off, but a lot of the other side of the ticket away from from the show. I yeah. think that's just a reality of it, and I wish we weren't as politicized. I wish we could all just love good movies. We didn't have vastly different morals, but maybe we don't. Maybe maybe this is we'll all come together someday, and we'll get past this time. I don't know, but here's what I here's what I do know. I do know that I, I want to see the Oscars 
with ABC also be simultaneously broadcast on Disney Plus and Hulu, I think that would be an improvement. I do want to see the Oscars become more diversified. We're going to get into that question later because you widen the tent to a global audience because representation matters. It's always mattered. And you bring more eyes to your product when more people and more peoples are represented. And these are two easy fixes that I, I do hope they're on the right path towards progress and getting there to expand the audience again. Mm-hmm. The last thing I'll just say is that, look, I mean, Mike and I have been very lucky. You know, our audience has grown every year. I don't know if we'd still be doing this if we didn't see progress ourselves. So I do think there is a loyal fan base, not just for shows like ours, but for, for the business and for the awards mm-hmm. race uh, at large and mm-hmm. for, you know, following it in the trades and online, et cetera, et cetera. There are the, the cinephiles and the movie lovers and the, and the Oscar lovers mm-hmm. that, uh, that do eat all of it up and can't get enough of it. And thank you all to them. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, my, Mike, I, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I do feel though that some of the, the in terms of the general public, yeah, there's the whole, you know, I remember when Parasite won and all of a sudden there's this backlash about, well, why didn't American film win? Um, you know, oddly, when the former guy brought up Gone with the Wind, because sure, let's not bring up the most recognizably racist movie ever to win Best Picture. Um, but I think also there's a, I think there's a public burnout it was kind of easier for like the general like i've been i've been into the oscars since i was like 10 years old and so i've I've had like that thing i get excited about it um but honestly since the expansion the the uh best picture ballot expansion from five to up to ten i found myself not watching as many of the movies because it's hard to keep track and getting out and going to see them and I feel like the general public is more so. There are more smaller films that, you know, you look at that and go, I have no interest in seeing that, which I think it's great to bring more smaller films into the mix. I feel like that's one of the nice things about the expansion, even though it was done as a ham-handed way to get a, blo- you know, a blockbuster yeah. to a guaranteed nomination. And this, yeah. this year, you get two billion-dollar blockbusters in there. And I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. Is this the first time they've actually hit all ten? Well, this has been nine. this has been a, a rule now for the second year. So a hard ten oh. is what they've gone to. You had the ability, but it was like drawing a straight flush of yeah. getting the ten. Right. But it was it was like eight to ten because you needed a certain threshold. Of it votes. was the yeah, it was the preferential yeah. balloting, which is another thing. Um, <laughs> but I feel like it's really difficult for the general public to get into the Oscars if you're looking at it. You know, 20, you know, I'm going to use a film from 2020 that it's kind of an unfair thing because I didn't see any of the movies that, that, that yeah. were nominated that year. Yeah. But No Man Land wins Best Picture. Okay. Um, I would be interested in seeing that because of all of the great aspects that it has. And I love Chloe Zhao. I love uh, Francis McDormand. But the general public isn't going to be brought to care about that movie no matter what. And it's – and again, I'm using a bad example because it came out during the pandemic and it was 
just kind of like if you were lucky to get it released in the theater and then it's on streaming. And I don't even know where it was streaming. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you look at Coda from last year. Coda is, you know, it's on Apple Apple TV. And if you don't subscribe yeah. to Apple TV, well, you're, you know, no, why do I care? It. I can't watch this movie. Yeah. So, sorry, Coda, you're shut out of luck. It's, it's that kind of thing. I feel like that's where the burnout is. I mean, we used to, before Kids in a Mortgage, my wife and I used to make it a point to go see all five Best Picture nominees. Without fail, yep. we did it. Um, and then... Uh, it was yeah, it was it was oh nine, and it was like eh, can't do this anymore. <laughs> there's there's far too many of them. We, you know we have a baby now, but it's also it's harder to find these movies. I, I didn't know a simple man where a simple man was playing anywhere when that got nominated. So there's there's a lot of that going on too. It's just I think that they're burnt out by how many movies get nominated for best picture a lot of you know there's and just a whole lot of i'm not familiar with that i'm not familiar with that and to harken back to a a, a skit that saturday night live had this weekend hmm. you know you know the you know ask about name three films that came out you know three hit movies that came out last year and he couldn't do it <laughs> oh no because it's just like the the kind of the age of the movie star is gone the age of like that big thing is gone and we, now our blockbusters are their franchise or, you know, in the case of, you know, Avatar is its own head-scratching thing. <laughs> um, and Top Gun was an, an anomaly. But there really are no big movies. There's no more events involve, quite honestly, Marvel. And I'm not saying that to, to bash Marvel, the MCU. But to the general public, it's the same. It's just the same kind of thing. It's that type of just fatigue that they're seeing. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely would say, you know, Michael, your your point on on the politicalness uh, that that's grown with the Oscars that I I don't think anyone would dispute that that's there. Um, yeah. We've gotten to this age where um, between like the the socialites the popularity of like turning socialites into celebrities and social media and all of these things uh so many actors now are focused on essentially turning themselves into a brand and uh your political beliefs are part of your brand so it's it's become pretty much impossible to to separate the two anymore um now I, I I I read an article from Sasha Stone um, in Awards Daily where she called uh, all Best Picture nominees uh, PSAs these days. I I don't think it's that. I I think she was being I I think she was being overly cynical and overly um, hyperbolic on it. But uh, we are kind of we. I mean, we're not that far away from it. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm in a small town. Everyone reads every single movie before they even go into it as one thing or another. Um, and yeah, people, I, we, at, at our theater, we have every single best picture winner since the beginning on their posters framed on the, 
the walls of our theater going around, wrapping around the lobby. Oh, wow. um, you know, and it's a really cool thing to look at. But the amount of people that come in and don't know why we have these movies in frames up on the wall. Um, we had uh, one of my favorite stories they told me when I started working there was a guy came in and asked if those were the prices to buy those posters. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, there, there is this, yeah, it's this like fleeting burst of interest for, for the Academy, uh, and for the Oscars that, yeah, I think because, because access, we feel like access should be better now than it was before. You know, even if, even if you're talking about like, not, you know, 1987 and you're trying to figure out where am I going to, you know, where am I going to go see the last emperor? Whereas in this, you know, these days it's like, okay, well, I should be able to see every single one of these, you know, I should be able to see yeah. every single one of these. Why, why do I have to have a Netflix subscription to be able to watch all of them and to be able to see all quiet on the Western front? You know, now, now there's a, it shouldn't be this hard, but it is. Um, so I, I wonder if I could throw a follow up at you guys. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, box office expert on the ground, boots on the ground here, Mr. Uh, Mr. Thomas Green. Yeah, you understand kind of the, the the windows on the one hand. We talked about it in the pre-show, and you understand mm-hmm. how these films try to have long tails and legs yeah. beyond the Oscars. Some of them are trying to hit that moment where they come out right as the nominations are announced or right after the nominations are announced, so that yeah. when, that's when exhibitors think they'll do their best business. They're try, it's, it's ultimately an exercise of timing. And we mm-hmm. saw over the last few years, I think a lot of the trends being broken with that late fall, quote-unquote, prestige picture spot, mm-hmm. whether it's after the Thanksgiving Day window. Now, Thanksgiving window has totally changed since I started the podcast. Now it's mm-hmm. more of a streaming window for like a – a Knives Out mystery, or obviously that was in theaters this year, but that, that was Christmas. But it's more of a streaming window for Netflix as much as it's anything in theaters like it used to be. Yeah. But here's here's what, here's my follow-up question. Do you think there's confusion, and it seems like you're heading there, do you think there's confusion on when distributors want to capitalize uh, on that Oscars bump that you, you would think films – could continue to capitalize on like they always have. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we saw the beginning. The beginning of confusion to me was when we had a mass awards success, at least from a nomination standpoint, for Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. It was this movie that came out in February, and here it is with you know in the like top three of nominated films at the Oscars that year. And it confused everyone. You know, it confused everyone, threw everyone off. You know, Oscar movies, they come out in, you know, the Oscar movies, they come out in November and December. Those are the two months where you get your Oscar movies. Um, But, you know, if you haven't really, if, you know, if by, by Christmas day, you get the last push of the, the Oscar bait movies, the ones that want to be nominated. 
So that way, a month later, most of them are still in theaters when the nominations come out, and they all get their bump, and, you know, it all kind of flows nicely. That threw in some confusion. Then we had, uh, you know, COVID happened, and we... um, we had this confusion. I mean, the, you know, this, the, the summer blockbuster season this year is starting in March. Um, because we're still living in this confusion and this, like everything is kind of everywhere. Um, you know, and we, you know, we've talked about this at work and I, I'm still of the mindset that next year, 2024 is the first year that we can hope to go back to a normal uh, release structure that we're familiar with of, you know, here's your January dump, here's your, you know, your February, you know, like just kind of scatter loose leaves. You got to make sure they make a little bit of money. You know, March, you're really going, you know, you're getting some of your more adult, you know, not necessarily horror films, but more like adult dramas out. And then boom, you go into your, you go into family films, you go into summer blockbuster season. Sure. You go into yeah. your second dump season of the year was September and the first half of, half of October. Then you get your horror movies and your family films going th- and into you November you've got Oscars. Yeah. yeah. It's there's this whole structure that used to exist for for when you released movies and it made yeah. perfect sense and I think I don't think I'm the only one who had it memorized. I think yeah. We all kind of had it ingrained in us. We had we, these we all times. Knew. We, we all we all knew you you'd see a you'd see a trailer for a really terrible looking low budget horror film or an action film that you know because you follow the industry has been delayed for <laughs> you know three years. That that's a January dump. Yeah, I mean you you look at something like Megan, and Megan was just like, how the hell did this m- movie make so much money in January? It's the only legitimate competition up until Shyamalan's movie this past weekend to yeah. give Avatar a run for its money because Avatar ran on or Av2R has had run on without any competition at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Tom, I I agree with you on that. I do feel though, like the more and more movies we see that are the you know the quote unquote Oscar bait coming from streaming might still shake that up. Um, I mean, you look at All Quiet on the Western Front. That was an October release on yeah. on Netflix. So you're going to see those. I, I just, I'm trying to think. I'm like thinking back of all the movies now that are nominated this year for, for yeah. Best Picture and which ones got a, you know, that de- December 31st, it counts – release before they actually push to a wider release in January, or they do limited release until the Oscar nominations are out, and then they expand that release. And Andy, I'll tell you what, Mike and I have been actually following the streaming bumps lately of something like, let's say, Banshees of Inisherin. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I don't remember Banshees of Inisherin doing very well at the box office. It did okay, 20-something, 30-something million, whatever it was, and it, it happened over time, but... Yep. I remember, especially with the punditry, with the film Twitter, Banshee's got itself a bump when it hit HBO yeah. Max. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't doubt that at all. That's I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. Um, what's the other one? 
shoot, what am I saying? Elvis, I'm sure, got a, a big bump as well. Um, I, I know that movie did better than Adventures of Anna Sharon, but I'm sure that got a big bump. And yeah. honestly, that's how I watched both of those movies was yeah. on HBO Max. Well, I don't I mean, go out to the movies anymore. So. Yeah, I mean, ba- with Banshees, it was, um, it was definitely that slow burn of like, you know, someone would go see it. They'd like it. They'd recommend it to their friends. You know, someone yeah. would someone would be coming to see something else, and they'd ask about it because they would they weren't sure. And you'd say, "Oh, it's from the the guy who made Three Billboards or In Bruges," and they go, "Really?" <laughs> I think that's what we're gonna go see next. I think that's gonna be yeah. our next movie that we're gonna go see. And then, it, it, I mean, honestly, I think Elvis got a streaming bump because most people were like me, and it took them six days to try to get through that that freaking movie. <laughs> You're my brother, you got me. Beat. Um, it took me three days to get through that movie. I, <laughs> oh, no. I, yeah. I yeah, I can only do so much at a time before I go. Okay, I need a break from uh, Ducky Face Elvis here. And I... oh my god, honestly, and you know, I know we're not we're not really reviewing any of these, but quick capsule review on that. Austin Butler can only is only one man that can only carry so much because if you don't love the work of Baz Luhrmann, you're not going to get into this movie. And I actually will applaud Baz Luhrmann. I'm not a huge fan, but I'll applaud him at pulling out. Tom Hanks' worst performance. Oh. I'll say this, guys. I I will say this in defense of Elvis because I saw it in the theaters and I was. I mean, it was almost like an such an oddity because it was like a almost mm-hmm. a three hour music video. Yeah, and it was nonstop, and it was so ambitious in the sense that it was like five movies into one that I I, I its audacity intrigued me. It was. <laughs> I liked it. It's good work I liked it because it was so big and gaudy and crazy. And, yeah. And it was an editor's uh, and a montage lovers, music lovers. If you love Elvis, anyway. But yeah, that's fa- that's fascinating. I would say, I guess to, to circle back is that uh, you know I'm hoping like Tar gets a bump now that it's on Peacock. Yeah. And people can get that for free. I'm hoping Triangle of Sadness will hit a streaming service and people can watch that. But it's weird. Like, these movies that are nominated for Best Picture, they used to have their moment throughout the season. And even when we hit streaming, like, The Irishman had its moment. Like, The Irishman was in theaters for a few weeks, but... The Irishman was the front runner for Best Picture at a certain oh point, early oh, yeah. December. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Early yep. December of that year, The Irishman was the favorite for Best Picture because everybody was watching it on stream on, on Netflix if they didn't see it in the movie theater. Yep, I remember. I remember that too because I also remember calling. It's going to do the it take as many Oscars as Gangs of New York did, which was zero. <laughs> there you go. It's. <laughs> I had to like to make a Venn diagram at work to tell people how this work, this whole thing works. It's like, well, you can't Pacino and, and Pesci they cancel each other out. Uh. Well, there's there is a direct correlation for Scorsese. There's a direct correlation between the there's it's a sliding rule. The at one end is indie filmmaking, at the other end is Hollywood filmmaking, and the more he slides over towards Hollywood, the yeah. more Oscars he gets. You know, mm. The Departed is full on him taking his indie stylings and making a Hollywood movie, and for yeah. that he got rewarded. Like mm. it's there's very much with that. And but that's I mean, as weird as they are to compare the two, the departed and Elvis live 
in the same zeitgeist of their flash is wholly what got them nominated. If you made a proper biopic of Elvis Presley, if you, you know, if it was something where it was like really covering his life, really like playing to being about him and not something that would have been what he saw in the last moments before he died. Um, (laughs) With that same cast, it would have gotten ignored. It would have, it would have, it would have gone to the, like, if, if not for Baz Luhrmann's self-indulgence of, of like his flash and pomp, Austin Butler would be getting a Razzie nomination, not an Oscar nomination. And I'm, it's not, and it's not even about whether or not Austin Butler did a good performance. It's about, we grabbed the attention of the public and now Elvis Elvis is, without a question, whether it deserves it or not, it is a ratings bump nomination. Yeah. Because yeah. you have you have 40 and up demographics are going to watch the Oscars now in the hopes to see Austin Butler continue to use his Elvis voice as he accepts an Academy Award. <laughs> or to see them go all get to like run up onto the stage doing backflips as they accept best picture. You know, there yeah. that's an entire group. It's it's like um you know whether you know love him or not, Johnny Depp getting a best actor nomination for Pirates of the Caribbean, that was to get the that was to get teenagers to watch the Oscars. Yeah. That wasn't about whether or not I, it was good. It was about getting teenagers to watch the Oscars. Yeah. Well, I can I, I go far enough back where I remember in '98 when Roberto Benigni won the Golden Globe um, for "Life Is Beautiful," and he did the thing he got up on the chairs and all that, and I'm like, this sealed it. He's winning the Oscar solely because they're expecting him to do some wacky shit, and people are going to remember they did wacky shit at the Golden Globes. So he, they, we have to tune in now and see him do wacky shit at the Oscars. Mm. And you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, we know that's probably the Academy's biggest uh, sense of buyer's remorse ever. It's like we had Ian McKellen playing James Whale, and we gave it to this clown. <laughs> the hell? <laughs> um. But no, you're right about that. And the other thing, too, I think that is helping Elvis is the fact that it has Baz Luhrmann's name attached to it. This movie could have been done beat for beat, shot for shot, effect for effect, um, editing Bukaki to editing Bukaki, And it's just like some dude directed it. It wouldn't have gotten the attention, but because Baz Luhrmann is an Oscar darling. Well, it helps his it helps the case for the movie. Because it's got Baz Luhrmann's name attached to it. But you know who's an Oscar darling? His wife. Jesus. Another set of nominations for her. No, but Jesus. that's yeah. beside the point. But go yeah. ahead. But, um, yep. So, <laughs> I, and I, I think going into the, because we're, you know, we're talking about, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the a bunch of, you know, white people and their nominations and all that. And I think it does, it does lead into the, the ugly question. Um, and it's a little bit of a devil's advocate of a question here. Uh, and it's just quite simply 
we, you know, there's a need for diversity. There's a need for, for a, an expanded sense of, of the nominations and the, and the categories. You know, again, everyone talks about, rightfully so, the need for stunt work to get nominated. The, yes. the, the need for voice work and motion capture work that the actors are putting in to get nominated for in some capacity, in some form. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, the concept of breakout role nominations. But the question then becomes, do all of the, you know, does adding a ton of categories, does adding, you know, does adding a bunch of, for lack of any other nicer way to put it, forced diversity, um, does that devalue the awards? Does that, does that take away from their, from their luster? I, I think when we talk about that, we, we, we can break it up into parts because I feel like adding additional categories like stunt work. I agree with you. Stunt work, um, voice acting, motion, mocap. These things are part of the industry now. Mocap especially. Mm. Uh, Andy Serkis, just based on sheer volume of work, should have at least three Oscars by now. <laughs> All for the Planet of the Apes movies. Um, I jest, maybe the first one. But still, it's like... There, there are these categories here, but at the cost, you know, like the, the detrimental cost of that, while it, it looks great that they're finally rewarding them, tax on to the length of what is considered by public standards an already bloated ceremony. Now, you could ask them to cut back on non-song nominated, you know, non-nominated song musical numbers. That might help comedy bits um you know tributes that go nowhere uh those those kinds of things um i think it's a great idea but it's just again it's it it lengthens that out in terms of diversity um i know again i'm harkening back to the tonys here because i'm such a theater nerd uh there's a lot of discussion in terms of creating a um more of a non-binary award a more non you know a, a war that doesn't conform to gender and the art i heard this argument i think it's a great it's a good idea in in practice in theory it's a great idea but what's going to end up happening if that replaces your best actor best actress uh awards is that it's going to 99.9999 times out of 100 going to go to a male it's just going to go to a man uh, because that's how the industry works. It's a lot easier. You can see that the, um, you know, when you look at act, best actor versus best actress, there are we see the same cycle of actresses kind of come through. Kate Blanchett's a good example of that. We see Glenn Close get a nomination at least every four years. Meryl Streep. We see the same actresses. Best actor, on the other hand, um, you see a lot of them, and there's a lot more. Yeah, I'm trying to think the last time that uh, somebody won Best Actor twice in recent memory. And it's not coming to me, and I'm usually really good at this, so I apologize. <laughs> um, I should have a know, faster trigger on this myself. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, and Mahershal Ali on the best on the support. Well, Hopkins. Yes. Died. Yeah, Hopkins. Oh, Anthony, uh, yes, yeah. Anthony Hopkins. And that still was almost 30 years Yeah, in between... 
you know, in between wins. Mm-hmm. Daniel um, Day-Lewis before that in 2012. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Why did Left foot Day-Lewis? and then Sean Penn in 2008. Yeah. So it, it happens, but not as common. And it's just, I feel like it's one of those things that in theory – it's a great idea, and I feel it can add diversity, or at least, you know, in terms of the Academy, the appearance of diversity, which is really what I think they're, they're looking for more, the appearance of diversity to get away from the, you know, the uh, hashtag Oscar so white. Um, but when that happens, they do tend to also step on their dicks in another direction. Yeah. Uh, we, we see this year, we've got a four Asian actors who are nominated for acting awards. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I think, may be the first time that's happened. I think that's like the first year. In, in, in one year, four Asian actors are nominated for acting awards. Uh, but at the, the flip side of that is we didn't see much in the way of uh, black actors get right. nominations. Viola Davis. You know, I know mm-hmm. they brought up Viola Davis, and I can't think of her name, but the woman... Danielle Deadweiler. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, from Till. Both, you know, should have been shoe-ins, but, you know, and I know a lot of it can also be the fault of the the voting, the preferential voting that they do, but it's it's like they can can have good good intentions in their right hand, but then failed intentions in their left. Right. I, I know the Oscars are one of several awards bodies now that have been through reckonings and scandals with their lack of diversity mm-hmm. and their lack of inclusion. And these were a long time coming, as we know. And, and our society has been through the same kind of reckonings of late. So we know, I mean, we, we know that even as white guys, we know that not white guys should not be a minority too many negatives here, but we, yeah. we know that white guys should no longer be the majority, uh, in, in, especially in in, a, in an organization like this. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. It is a systemic issue in the industry. Uh, I, look, I don't, I don't need to preach. I don't want to bum yeah. everybody out. It's <laughs> the truth. So it's something that Mike and I have had to deal with since the beginning. It bums us out. <laughs> Again, it's yeah. the truth, but we have to say it. And I, you know, I take this question to mean that the need for diversity could imply, in, in, in several cases, that this rattled group of not white, you know, rattled group of white guys, and very few not white guys, still of a majority of white guys, this group of white guys, and then others have been rattled they've been rattled and if you're t- if you're telling me that they can be inauthentic and fraudulent and frauds i would have believe i would believe you however like you said andy they're still snubbing tremendous performances by black actors and they're still lacking in representation up and down the card we just saw andrea riseborough who's very good into leslie get all the white people together in a matter of four days, 
whirlwind of white people having Babylon party after Babylon. I'm not going to say that. But they all got together. They all emailed each other. They all tweeted about it. They all talked to each other's publicists and managers. They all broke all of the minor rules and somehow none of the major rules about Oscars campaigning. And they got Andrea Riseborough nominated. Now, she's awesome in the movie. Fine. I get it. It's an indie movie. That's cool. But it was indeed, and I could tell you for sure, I don't I care what anybody else says, and a lot of people I respect have said differently, it came at the expense of Daniel Deadweiler and Viola Davis. Daniel De- Deadweiler, who only missed one precursor nomination, which is always a, a good tip, mm-hmm. and Viola Davis, who missed no precursor nominations. And Gina Prince-Bythewood had a great piece. I guess I should have said at the top of this that just read her piece on The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, to, to give you an answer to this question. But the truth of this question is in the second part of it. The Oscars are devalued by not having the diversity. The Oscars are shooting themselves in the foot in a monetary sense and in a quality sense by not having diversity, by not including more people because when you do that you're going to improve the product you're going to improve the oscars you're going to improve the industry by getting more voices in here and i'm sorry i'm on a soapbox but it's just the truth do you think that expanding the the uh the membership like really doing a full-hearted membership expansion would help because i mean we're still dealing they did just like with everything in life we are still dealing with the old white guys who have been in the academy since you know 19 aught dickety and um you know i voted for wings and it's but that was the big change that the biggest change that they made and and i hope the most lasting is that the old guard is going to move out and they had six thousand before Oscar So White in the Academy. After yeah. all the diversity and inclusion standards, they're up to around 10,000 now. Okay. So they yeah. have changed up some of the votership. However, yeah. it's still it's still an issue, which is the insane thing. It's still it's still like 75% white guys. Yeah, we we uh, once a year, I think it's Variety, maybe the Hollywood Reporter does does a pretty good article um letting you know being like hey here are all the people that have been uh been introduced into the academy this year um it's usually i feel like usually falls not too long after the oscars happened um that or like the halfway between point between oscar shows um where they'll do that um and at at this point i really i want to point out um that uh you guys uh for f- michael you guys just had a, a fantastic episode uh where you had clayton davis on um phenomenal episode and uh, you know and a lot of this uh stuff was discussed and it's part of why i i consider it so crucial to talk about and you know he he makes a great point that i agree with that um that we have preconceived notions that, that cause the issues. So like, I, I agree with him in the fact that, you know, he mentions in the episode that we assume that, you know, Viola Davis 
was the fifth place that was bumped out. I tell you what, man, I think he's being nice when he says that. I, he, he, he thought it was Jennifer Lawrence. You're right. I think he's being nice, and I think he's being kind when he says that to all the white people he has to work with. <laughs> I, 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 th- I think he's doing it. But I believe, and Mike and I believe, and a lot of pundits believe, that it was, in fact, Davis and Deadweiler. But maybe we're wrong. Maybe he's right, which... Well, and that's the thing, is I I disagree with him. I agree with him that I don't think Viola Davis was the one that got bumped out. I disagree with him that it was Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I do, and I disagree with him. I do, I I 100% would not be shocked to find out that it was Danielle that, that was knocked out by by that that campaign and it was a campaign that like i i imagine that the entire discussion about whether or not we we call this legal or not was literally them just going what are we were are we more worried about losing nominations ourselves by other people doing this or do we more like the ability to know that we can do it to try to win awards, and I think that was all that they w- that they gauged that decision on. Oh God! Um, yeah. Well, um, that's that's the thing is that they 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 fixed the glitch, so to speak, because you know there while her nomination will stand, um, you know she'll still be an active competition. They did say, well, next year there's going to be some changes around here, yeah. and it's in the it's in those minor little it rules in you know these little fractures. Is the so rules many. that they did, yeah. Um, and it, you know, who knows what that's going to? Who, who knows if maybe there is uh, an actress next year of color who's like, I can go the Andrea Riceboro route, and I'll be, you know, let me see if that works for me. And now that, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. and it, it very well could. Just happen. like everything in life takes an enterprising white person to ruin it for everybody. Yeah. So, but I, I think uh, something else from the episode with Clayton Davis um, helps answer, uh, Andy, your question about does improved diversity amongst the members improve um, or like decrease the risk of this happening? And it's um, the talk that you guys have with, with Clayton about the fact that most of these Academy voters are not watching these movies. Themse- they're probably watching less movies than the average American filmgoer. Until they get pressured to do so, we we have an industry where there's not as much of a drive to to know what the guy beside you is doing per se. It's why we end up with things like, you know, we had those we you know we had the whole the New York syndrome that happened um, the year of Chadwick Boseman losing to Anthony Hopkins. Where you oh, had gosh. you had members of the academy that were being got, getting those like anonymous interviews going. Well, I have voted for Hopkins because I figured everyone else was voting for Chadwick, so I figured oh, I'd give on. like a legacy. And it's like you knew that that's what the majority of the, they, so many of them thought. Well, everyone else is voting for Chadwick. I'll vote for Anthony. They set everything up for it to be this big, beautiful Chadwick wins posthumously oh, for man. best actor as the big finale to the night. And none of them thought for a second. Oh, did too many of us make that decision and completely screw this oh up. My God. And, I don't know if either of you guys have seen uh, Robert Downey's Putney Swope, but that is exactly the that that is the plot of the movie. <laughs> a, no, a guy it, becomes the the, uh, the CEO of a business because they um, every member of the board had to vote for somebody besides themselves. 
They all they all voted for the one guy they didn't think was going to get any votes at all. <laughs> That's great. Six, That's Putney fantastic. Swope, it's called Putney Swope. Yeah, from uh, Robert Downey Senior. What's that? Yeah, I was just, just going to say that was a senior film. It must have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that, that's exactly what it sounds like. And I remember that happening and being like, "Oh God!" You, it, again, it's that shooting yourself in the dick because mm-hmm. you set this up like last year when they when they're like, you know, it's on ABC. We could we could you know pay tribute to a film released by our parent company Disney, and we're going to let the the audience vote. Without any safeguards put in there whatsoever, and that Ugh. goddamn scene from the Snyder Cut, like, Ugh. wins because it's like, oh, I'm sorry, were bots not allowed to vote? Yes, that wins one of them, and then Army of the Dead, which was what the hell? one of the lowest rated films that year by audiences. I am, I'm still having arguments with people that that was not an actual Oscar win. Right. Yeah. Thank God. They, yeah. People. Needs to. Yeah. People don't quite understand <laughs> that, and the fact that they're not going to do it again should really be a hint. Um, yeah. Exactly. It was a bad idea, and it was a bad. I mean, the, the whole concept of that was a bad idea too to drive yeah. ratings and get the public interest. Exactly. Because it's like Spider-Man is a lock for this, right? That's well, what. Uh, yeah. That's what they were going for. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I honestly, I so much of me right now is expecting um to get when we start getting those anonymous voter blurbs um and interviews coming out the number one thing i'm expecting to see is people just be you know a lot of people going well see okay so the reason i didn't vote for those two movies is because i kept confusing what which one was women talking and which one was she said they're basically the same title parentheses laughing that's I guarantee you we're going to see that. And that's it, it's it's maddening because yeah, there is not this um like I I get that it's supposed to be about the art, but yeah, I, on some respect there should be a requirement of viewership before yeah. diving into these kinds of decisions. We don't, you know, we you know, we we don't tol- you know, tolerate it on film Twitter, when you've got someone coming in here and, and going, you know, oh, it's it's complete crap that so-and-so even got nominated. Did you see the movie? No. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but we, we yeah. accept it when it's the people that are actually making these decisions, which is a very unfortunate um, place. But, yeah. uh, I mean... But, and, and that... I mean, that brings up the, uh, you know, the biggest question at this point is just how do you fix something like the oscars um because i mean at this point i i feel it's safe to say that none of us think that they're running perfectly at this point oh no um so the, the question does become you know how do you fix uh, the the whole thing, you know, we've we've talked about you know having it switching it over to Hulu or Disney Plus, where it's live streaming, where you can you know maybe eliminate the commercials and replace that with doing you know speeding things up to make more space for stuff or um you know requirements for you know requirement kind of stuff for diversity, but you know does it go beyond that? Um, does it go beyond um, stuff that we've talked about tonight to improve, to improve the whole thing. And 
to a certain point, what, you know, what improvements are we trying to make based off of what we think the Oscars should be doing as a whole? I think there's a good way of getting more engagement in, in the overall ceremony of the show by doing, you know, what you've all mentioned here, doing a, you, you put the broadcast on ABC and then you do a commercial free broadcast on Hulu and, um, and Disney Plus. That those are two platforms now where if you are a true cinephile and you care about the smaller awards, you're going to watch it on that as opposed to and I, it, it's like it really it's anathema for me to say it like this. Most most people who are watching the Oscars just because it's something they do every year, they don't care about the smaller awards and they make up like goofy award nominations that don't really exist, but they think do because people. <laughs> um, those are the ones that you put in the commercial breaks, and then you just come back with that. But the people who want to see um, short documentary subject, fe- you know, documentary feature, those awards can be broadcast and shown in their entirety with the full acceptance speech on Hulu and Disney Plus. Just let it go. The people that want to watch that, or who are into it for the, you know, for the industry because they love all that stuff. Let them watch it on on the streaming system, and there's two of them, so it's not like you only have to you only need one. And if you want to watch it, you know, because you only want to see you know the the pretty dresses and big stars and you know Billy Crystal doing something or whatever, um, you can watch it on ABC. If you're in it for the entertainment value more than anything else, do it on ABC. Otherwise, cinephiles can still watch it on the and not get you know feel like they got burnt because. You know, they're trying to make it more engaging for everybody by cutting out these these awards that, while you know, to the major the main, main public don't seem that important, are incredibly important mm-hmm. to the people who win those awards. Because that is, at that moment, for a lot of those people, the best moment of their professional lives, right there. Yeah. So... Mike and I went through the present all 23 controversy pretty hard. And we actually had a, a take kind of like yours, Andy, where we were so downtrodden about how lousy the broadcast had become that we were looking for any way in which to improve it. And it had gotten so bloated and, and so and it just it's so bad. It's just like, there's such a lull in the middle of the Oscars broadcast where, like I said, you have, awkward speeches and et cetera. And you have these, these desperate ploys for gags and bits and these poor comedians who never want to host the Oscars again because they're, they have to follow like the unfunniest things imaginable. Right. You know, the, the documentary filmmaker giving a, a speech after winning for this best documentary on the most serious subject in the world, in the history yeah. of the world. You know, a comedian's got to, you know, hand out candy and, and, and hot dogs after that. And so, do selfies for Instagram and that, yeah. yeah. I, I think ultimately you have to improve the broadcast. And this is something that Scott Feinberg, he's written a manifesto essentially on The Hollywood Reporter. And he's mm-hmm. been gracious enough to be on our show quite a bit. And he's talked about how the Oscars need to fix the broadcast by, hell, hey, let's hire a live TV producer to produce the award show and go against the grain of years of hubris where we would just take a film producer 
and put him in charge of the Oscars every year. And it always led to this clunky show, but they were high on the hog. Mm-hmm. And they had clunky shows and nobody cared because it's on a broadcast network. Everybody was watching TV. It was all appointment viewing. Yeah. And it, it didn't matter. They were so they were so on top. And now they have to compete with so much. They have to compete with all the niches. They have to compete with on demand everywhere, on every streaming service, on every cable system. They have to compete with you know, post-pandemic people just wanting to be out of the house, never mind watching TV all the time like we were during the pandemic. But I do think, and I am optimistic, that more people are watching more movies than ever. Mm-hmm. I think that's true based on streaming numbers, the ones that we've been able to see. I think that's true based on subscriber numbers for streamers. And yes, the box office is recovering. So I am optimistic. I am optimistic in the sense that I do think the Oscars are getting more diverse, and I do think diversity going more global, like we've been talking about, guys, that is a fix in itself. Yeah. Just do that. Just do that, and we will continue to improve. But anyway, we talked about it in a sense of, of race and gender. Like, I mean, let's have a female director nominated, for Christ's sake. Yeah. But fine. We, we, if we start getting more diverse, representation will just bring more viewership, period. End of story. That's the truth. And it's and it's a wholesome one. It's a righteous one. I could say it in this tone of voice. And I have no qualms. So, Mike, you seem to, you're very good on the um, on the ratings for the Oscars. I'm very curious. The Oscars, the Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture and yeah. had a ton of awards. Do you know where that sat? If you don't, it's okay, but I'm very well, curious I have about that because, you know, a billion-dollar film that yeah. is very, you know, representative, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm just very curious if, that, if, if, if there was a bump in, in, in there was. viewing there. Not to mention the fact, I think Black Klansman was also nominated that year. There, there was a bump from 26 yeah. million in 2018, 29, almost 30 million in 2019. Okay. Uh, 2020 was the parasite year. 2021 was a pandemic year, etc. Yep. That was yeah. a lull of 10 million. Oh, okay. And and look at, I do think we're going to get a bump again this year. I think that Avatar being there, Elvis being there, Top Gun being there matters. Yeah, I think that matters. Now everything everywhere all at once. That's a darling. People like it. Do all the old people like all the butt stuff? I don't think so. We may see the, everything everywhere get all uh, upset at the end of the day. We'll see. Look at, I I want. To do the, let's keep the main things the main thing for a while. Mm-hmm. Keep the main thing the main thing. Oscars, yeah. Make a better show, yeah. But going beyond that, I do think they could figure out and reconfigure the season, like we've been talking about. Right now, people like like yourself, Andy, don't know where to go see all the best picture nominees. It's on which streaming service? They got to figure yeah. that shit out. Wait, they I don't pay for that one. I'm not paying for that. One. Yeah. <laughs> Make that much more user friendly. Mm-hmm. Figure it out, distributors, so that you have the rollout at this time of year that we all don't have to see. You know, we all don't have to see Megan for the second or third time, or Avatar <laughs> for the fourth time. We can have the Best Picture nominees. We can have the Oscar nominees in theaters, and people excited about seeing them in theaters at this time. Or let them all be on demand. If that's the way you want to go, fine. Let's. We'll vet. We need. We need to push the precursors earlier in the season. 
that and I, to, to tack on to I'm sorry yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt but I just want to say I think the onus can also be on the distributors as well if your movie is set to stream you know for streaming that you make it available as a promotional watch I think I really want to say that Apple TV did that with Coda. Yeah. I think they, they allowed you for like a week. You can watch Coda sure. at no charge. Um, mm-hmm. you know. And while I think it's impossible that Netflix would ever deign to lose one precious cent from their All Quiet on the Western Front money, um, I think doing something like that, making it, you know, making it easier. Mm-hmm. Here's a website that you can go to. You click on that, and it will bring you right to the streaming service. Use this promo code. Just use the Oscar promo code, and you can watch yeah. whatever the Best Picture nominees are at no cost. So you can you you can watch it. Get those numbers up. Get them. Get people yeah. more excited because if you watch, yeah. that's the thing about the the Oscars that you know I get invested personally in the the actor story. In the if I love a movie, like I loved everything, everywhere all at once. I really want that to win. I'll be fa- I will be a little sad if it doesn't win. Um, but that's the thing. Getting know. that investment, getting that personal investment. I'm guessing you didn't like it. No, I, I liked it. I did. I, I'm just I'm reading the tea leaves. I don't know. I don't know if it's gonna. Work. It's I I know I I I have a feeling there's gonna be some spoilering going around because again, just like you know, like how it happened with Chadwick Boseman. I thought I thought I thought everyone was gonna vote for it, so I didn't vote for it. <laughs> I just well. I, I love what you're saying, and I, I think I, ultimately I, the, the point I was going to make earlier is that if you move some precursors like the Globes, like the Critics' yeah. Choice earlier, if you spread out award season more, or just let's move the Oscars up, back up. Do, do we have to be in early March? You guys are killing me. I just watched 32 Sundance movies. I'm, I've already, I'm already almost, <laughs> I'm almost 45 2023 movies in, and I, and I'm still. Watching 2022 movies to get ready for anyway. Yeah. Like, like he's going to sleep. <laughs> I have to sleep at some point. I'm binging like yeah. five movies a weekend, day. Anyway, but if you moved the season up a little bit, you could try and get more towards that holiday box office window that the Oscars used to thrive for. Mm-hmm. And and look at I think if you also move some precursors up a little bit, then you could have a Golden Globes bump. You can have a Critics Choice bump. You could have. Mm. You could spread out the bumps a little mm. more, and you could figure out release windows. Maybe I don't know. I, I think maybe that's a that's a idea I would throw your way, Thomas. Do you think that would work, perhaps? Yeah, and I mean, I you know, I um, we had I think it was Banshees when uh, the Globe nominations came out, and so I was really fingers crossed that we would get a bump uh, because of the Globes coming out. Uh, funnily enough, we got a. We got a bump in the Fablemans after yeah. the Globes aired and it won Best Drama. We got a bump. The next day we had a ton of people, you know, we had a lot of people coming in. None of them knew. <laughs> like, yeah. they, they, like, I had people coming in on what's normally one of our slowest days of the week coming to see Fablemans. I was like, oh, did you watch the, did you see it win at the Globes last night? I didn't even know the Globes were on last night. Did this oh, win? And it was just well, like that has to do with the fact that it was broadcast on a Tuesday. Yes, broadcast on a Tuesday with minimal marketing. Um, but yeah, there's. I mean, and this is where the whole the whole conversation about you know how to you know save theaters um, goes into play. And it's in you know 
figuring out your schedule and figuring out your booking with your film booker that, you know, is your middleman between your theater and the studios for which movies are going into your theater. Um, You know, I'm lucky enough that we've been able to, you know, that we're going to be showing for two weeks. We're going to be doing like an Oscars festival where we've got the best picture nominees available all you know, every single one, including All Quiet, are going to be nice. available for people to see in our theater, which is fantastic. I'm really excited. Literally, I got the okay this morning, and before I left for the day, I had, you know, marketing materials that I made for it up on our Showtimes TV and on our registers, so that way people nice. know about it as soon as possible. But I've also been trying to convince my you know i've been trying to convince our general manager that we do have the space and that we should try to get like marcel the shell with shoes on which we didn't get in its initial run or maybe even go bold and get like eo or just just any of these other movies you know we we put a lot of love on the best picture nominees but there are all these other movies that aren't getting nominated for best picture but are still worth watching to help validate their nominations to a certain extent um and and in that respect i think you know it's streaming gives us uh the opportunity of you know we've got you know like andy pointed out we've got hulu and disney plus if you have both of them live streaming the oscars you don't you know you don't have to get disney plus if you don't have it or vice versa but I think, uh, so, you know, you were just talking about Sundance, and I think that's also part of the solution, is I think the Oscars need to have a go big or go home mentality. Let's take the fact that we've got streaming services where people can kind of come and go as they please. Let's turn the Oscars into a week-long thing, mm. where one day you're focused on acting, and now you can broaden, you can have your breakout actor nominee, you can have all these extra nominations for acting categories, voice acting, breakout actor, all these oh, extra categories, it. because yeah. you're just focusing on acting that night. The next night, That's you're fantastic. doing technical awards, and you can throw, you know, a, you know, again, when you guys were talking to Clayton, you can throw in the stuntmen one, and you can focus specifically on stunt coordinator. So you don't have that question of, okay, who's going on stage to accept this award, make it the stunt coordinator is the, the name that goes under your category for stunts. Um, you know, as, um, so you can have all this stuff and then you can have your big final, you know, your big final night that has best picture. You can throw in the best ensemble category that's in, um, that's in the SAG awards. You can, you know, you can open up the amount of categories, but more importantly than that, you can spend those days celebrating more than just the films that are nominated. You know, right now we've got right now at, at, at my theater, I have got people flocking in to watch a man called Otto and 80 for Brady. You know, I've got these two films and it's hysterical because, you know, you've got a man called Otto, which, you know, or well, 80 for Brady, you you know exactly what you're getting. You're getting the glory of Rita Marino uh, outshining Tom Brady. Um, And then with a man called Otto, you're going in there thinking, oh, I'm going to watch Tom Hanks. Is that a noose? Yeah, is that a noose yeah. he's holding? Um, I, I I don't despise a lot of movies. I despise. 
watched that movie. God, uh, I just, just hated it. I don't. I mean, I don't really feel one way or the other about it. Ugh. But it's it, it, you've got these movies that you know they're going to do well. They're going to be well received. And they're go- they're part of this year. They're part of this year's celebration of film and what it can encompass. <laughs> let's let's turn the Oscars into a week long celebration of film that also happens to include these awards, not a single night celebrating exclusively the films that we want to award. Well, I yeah. tell you what, guys i I had a similar idea, but instead of a week long, I would just like. <laughs> Let's incorporate the precursors better. I would say yeah. if you want, if you want the indie spirits to filter into the Oscars better, then let's have some automatic bids. And I hate to use the sports terminology, but let's have the indie spirits with a couple automatic bids to the Oscars. Let's t- forget the Academy. They're a bunch of racists. They're a bunch of bigots. They're a bunch of chauvinists. We can't trust them to nominate all the nominees anymore. So we're gonna say, all right, Screen Actors Guild, hey. You got an automatic bid. We can still have at-large Academy nominees. They don't watch all these movies anyway, so I'm making it easier on them. Let's yeah. let's have these precursors tie into each other, and we can do that from the guilds level. And like you said, if you do have the Netflix machine, you know, in charge of the Oscars in 2030, maybe mm-hmm. Netflix can once a month have this ongoing reality show where they do movie award seasons yeah. i don't know i mean i i kind of see what you're saying in the week and I, and that would be fun as well i would love i would love a week-long oscars celebration i don't know if i'd get any sleep ever again <laughs> you know for those two three months i'd be tyler durden but i would uh i i just i agree with you i think it needs to it needs to flow better. It needs to f- feed into each other better. You'd have more chance to like educate younger viewers. Like you can have these craftspeople actually do mm-hmm. some tutorials. You can have you know, you can have a lot of cool stuff going on w- with a, a, a longer runway or a more cohesive experience rather than okay, the Critics' Choice pick all the Oscar categories plus a few extra categories, and oh, they have one extra nomination. Great, mm-hmm. BAFTA does all the Oscar categories. I mean, look at. I think the golden. I think the categories at the Globes and the Choice and the the Guild should all be different. I don't want yeah. these categories flowing into each other. Let's right. make them all different, like you're saying. Let's give everybody their shine. That would be the smartest way, and that would make things so much more unpredictable. And the race is so yes. much more chaotic and fun. And my podcast would get so many more listens. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you're also not like to a certain extent. Because we we talked a lot. Because I went, to, I I mean, I went to a film school for acting. So, you know, we we talked a you know we would talk a lot about the the weight of Oscars and stuff like that. And one of the things I always point out is think about, you know, think about the day that, for example, let's go with Al Pacino, mm-hmm. the the day that he sadly passes away, and then fast oh, no. forward thirty five. 50 years into the future and somebody is watching without having the access of him currently still making movies or anything like that and have them watch Robert Downey Jr. in Chaplin then have them watch Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman and have them guess which one won the Oscar for Best Actor and then watch their confusion when you tell them it was actually Al Pacino. And then you have to explain, well, they just thought he was due. Mm. 
or you yeah. know like we um, we all love Meryl Streep but again put in that 50 years past her death and you go this actress is one fi- you know she was nominated more times than any other actor in the world and then they watch the post or August Osage County where she's chewing the scenery and they go wait why was she nominated like right. you know it's there is a curse to to these people getting nominated 50 million times so yeah. what we're doing right now is hurting can hurt the legacy of some of these these people who are incredible talents um yeah and i feel like they've kind of backed away from the the legacy oscar um to a sense because i have had argument after argument with people about glenn close you know mm-hmm. everybody was convinced glenn close was going to win the year that uh, olivia coleman won <laughs> oh for the wife yeah and i had to explain I, they're they're moving away from that was glenn close better than olivia coleman by no means was she better than olivia coleman in in the favorite that without a doubt was the best performance i saw that year um but I, I, I like that they're doing that, but I agree with you. It's just the, the test of time. Or show Pacino's movies. Show some of his filmography. Mm-hmm. Which one did he win Best Actor for? It was The Godfather Part Two. No. <laughs> um, It was Dog Day Afternoon. No. It was Serpico. No. It wasn't Son of a Woman, was it? <laughs> Um, as long as it wasn't The Recruit, because that was Colin Farrell's movie. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the other... The, so Julianne Moore is another one. Julianne Moore is like, you look at all these mm. movies, that, just Alice is the one she wins it for. She's got an amazing body of work. Mm. And she wins it, I think, might have honestly been the last of the tokenism. You know, you've been nominated a whole bunch of times. You're due. Mm. But yet Annette Bening still has remained unawarded. And I th- I'm fairly certain for a while she she had pictures of Hillary Swank with her eyes cut out. <laughs> well, and I, I I mean, and that 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 kind of proves another another thing with the Oscars and why I think the Oscars need to focus more on a celebration of the year of film yeah. as a whole and not so much just here are the movies that we selected as the best is Everyone can name, you know, er, if everyone in the world listed the, the their top five favorite directors of all time or their f- top five favorite actors of all time, and you compiled all those lists together, 40% minimum would be people who never won Oscars. And it's, you, and it's, one of, it's one of those things where it's not that it therefore means the Oscars are meaningless. It just means there's, there's more to it than that. And that's an aspect that they are, that they're forgetting. It's why we have this whole thing of why did the Oscars hate horror? Why did the Oscar, you know, why do Oscars, you know, why do you have to be a, you know, why is, why is Jojo rabbit the closest thing we've gotten to a broad comedy to be nominated for best picture in years? Um, you know, there's, there's genres and, and types of films that, that get overlooked, but they, they live stronger. I mean, we've, 
you know, the, the most financially successful movies last year, none of them are nominated for best picture. Cause you know, no matter what kind of our campaign they could get terrifier two didn't get nominated for anything. Um, but it's, so it's, it, it, the, from a, from a business standpoint, the, the money-making aspect of, of deserving into the awards, it just doesn't play fully for them from an art standpoint. Uh, it's just such a small scope that plays some damage to, to both those that are and aren't nominated. Um, and just from their, you know, from their reputation, you know, we, we, we're talking about everything everywhere at all at once. This, I've, I've been saying since that movie came out, cause I had coworkers that were like, oh, this is, this is going to be a best picture nominee, this best picture nominee. And I immediately went, this is, this is the latest of the like get out and some of these other movies where you throw best original screenplay at them, give them a best picture nomination and hope that they are happy enough with that screenplay. Cause that's all you're going to give them. Um, and unfortunately that's, that's the, that's where the money is in my opinion for, for that movie. And for a lot of those kinds of movies. So broadening the scope is a chance to, to acknowledge the work that they're doing a little bit stronger. I think. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, from your mouth to God's ears, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's, it has been spoken. Let it be done. I mean, and, and like, you know, Clayton Davis said, we just got to keep reminding them. Yes. The Academy and hopefully a younger, humbler, less white guy group will eventually start to make more of these, you know, this, more of this progress. But I mean, it's a, it, it is a bit of a double edged sword, though. Mm-hmm. The one final point uh, with the younger group in the Academy is that they're working more often. It's something that mm-hmm. a lot of pundits have brought up it's even harder for them to see all the movies. So that's, that's another thing where I think you'll see a lot of young, younger picks in the acting categories, for example. But this year, like a Stephanie shoe is nominated. That's fantastic. But she's in like, the reward is in the nomination for her. Yeah. But but it's also from the, like the front runner movie. So that's great. But I mean, Carrie Condon's in Banshees and that's great. I love seeing her there, Mm -hmm. but she's in Banshees. Like I almost got a, have you know? I, I get more pause when it's like Anna the Armas shows up, and maybe they didn't see her, but uh, <laughs> and they had to go out of their way to see her. So yeah. that's that's this, the new calculus with a lot of these awards prognosticating nowadays, where you're yeah. trying to figure out who's watched everything. Because because now look at I mean we go from branches voting to obviously the whole Academy voting for every single award, and I know we're talking about fixes, but <laughs> I, I don't think more movies will win than less, even though I think they'll mm-hmm. spread the love somewhat. Yeah. I do think there are a few movies in contention, like you're saying, and it's it's going to be a battle yeah. between them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it feels like it's going to be a year where there's like one or two movies that are going to be the tech movies, and then two, maybe three movies that are the, the big category movies, and we yeah. we end up living with this where you can put all of the big awards winners into a single headline for a variety or a Hollywood reporter article instead of you know just talking about which one was the biggest and then putting the rest of it yeah. into the body of the article. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and that, that tends to happen a lot, especially like last year with Dune taking more awards than anything else. Didn't take the big prize. Uh, Mad Max, Fury Road, the same thing. It took more awards than any other film that year, but you know, it, it, it cleans up. It cleans up at technical awards, which still count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and this Mad Max. kind of... Sorry, but this year's kind of a little unique, I would just say, that we got a bunch of those. We got All Quiet, yeah. Avatar, yeah. Uh, Everything Everywhere did well on the Undercard and, and Top Gun, but mostly, you know, mm-hmm. to for the Dune comparison, Top Gun, All Quiet, and, and Elvis, I, I, I don't know if I said that, yeah. but those three are probably going to split the text. Oh my God, I, I don't... Somebody, yeah. somebody better than me has to predict these. I went 20 for 20 last year. That's never going to happen again, <sighs> ever. I am a fraud. I, I have no confidence this year. I'm not going to pick it, anything. You're right. You're, like, you're absolutely right about that. It is so tough now because, again, you know, I, mm-hmm. I know what I want to win, and I'm just going to have to stick with that, you know, stats be damned, and just, <laughs> you know, because, I, I, I mean, I really I, I want Michelle Yao so desperately to win Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's a tight race between her and Kate Blanchett. Um, and oh, why am I blanking on his name? I feel like I feel like a racist asshole right now. Everything, everywhere. Oh, Kihui Kwan. Yeah, yeah Kihui Kwan. Yeah, sorry. Data. He's winning. He's winning. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, is that I'm hoping that that's not the spoiler category. That that's not the one where everybody thinks he's going to win and then, you know, somebody else sneaks in. I don't um, think so. I think I would like to. Yeah. I, who would he? Who would he have to slap to not win that award? True. I, I don't. True. Yeah. I don't. The same thing goes with Brendan Fraser. I've heard. You know. I've heard terrible things about the whale, except for Brendan Fraser's performance and what he's been through. Mm-hmm. It's his first nomination, so it's not like the pity award. But I feel like what he went through, I would be more than happy. But that's a that's a three man race right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, him, I am Colin Farrell and. And Austin Butler. I, I I will say as as somebody who's watched The Whale, it it definitely is one of those movies where something is like if you get if you get through the whole movie and some part of the movie, some line of dialogue doesn't connect so much with your soul that it just makes you start sobbing. Yeah, yeah, it's pro it's it's not going to seem like a good movie. Um, but yeah, yeah what I yeah. I mean, what he did alone with with physically being in prosthetics and making them be like a part of his body is it's yeah. unlike anything I've seen before. Um, yeah. but yeah, it, it, it's just, it's a whole, it's a whole different world. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, guys, I want to thank you guys so much for, for coming on and doing this. Um, uh, Michael real quick, where, where can people, uh, track you down again? Just let them know. Uh, thanks for for having me, Thomas and 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 Andy. Uh, I, I enjoy talking to you guys tonight. Yeah. A lot of great stuff, great stuff yeah. that needs to be enacted yes. here to forthwith, <laughs> please. Uh, but thank you. Uh, we're at mm and Oscar on Twitter. Otherwise, we're Mike, Mike and Oscar Instagram, Facebook, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're based in SoundCloud, but we're everywhere else, Spotify, etc. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for your new venture. I was uh, I was digging movies after work back in the day, Thomas. I remember. I think I found you guys around the time where you did. I saw the devil, oh, yes. and that was a cool ass episode. I, I love uh, South Korean film, and I love that you guys did a whole deep dive on that. And 
And uh, yeah, we you we, really been a, a mensch with all the uh, cross promotion on Twitter all these years, and uh, yeah. appreciate you for that. And then Andy, knew, but we're buddies for life now. That's it. Hey, we are. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, that... we gotta we gotta hang out more. We definitely we definitely do. We gotta do this more often. Um, so yeah, no, thank you. And uh, by the way, so we can all I'll tell our Tom Thomas stories here. Uh, the first time I heard Thomas was when he and our friend M from Verbal Diorama had done uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Nice. Uh, and to which I have to say, <laughs> that's like my entire interpretation of that entire movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's been, Thomas has been fantastic being on this. I'm so happy that you're back. Um, I look forward to doing more of these. I look forward to having you on our show at some point. Yeah, and absolutely. Mike, you might you you may see an invitation to do one of our reviews with us as well. Hey, let's do um, it, guys. We do a lot of these. So yeah, and I, I'm sorry, I, I stepped on yours. Are you? Are you? Did you, did you get all your shit? Oh your yeah, I've been promoting this whole episode. Has been promoting the Oscars. So <laughs> I've, been, I've been dropping lines about Mike, Mike, and Oscar all night. But thank you, yeah. thank you. There you go. There you go. Get those subs up. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, so and Andy, Andy, salad. let's get your also, subs up. I'd love our I'd love our subscriptions to go up. So listeners of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, please subscribe to Geek Salad. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, but you can get us pretty much wherever you can get um, Mike's show. Uh, we are based out of Podbean, but it doesn't mean you can't find us on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. Uh, also on YouTube, a Geek Salad podcast, Facebook, a Geek Salad podcast, and we are at Geek Salad Radio. On Twitter, Hive, Mastodon. I don't know why I kept those accounts open, but they're still there. Um, so you can find us there. Uh, looking f- so forward to bringing the goods um, in 2023 uh, amidst all of my uh, my side gigs as an actor and all that fun stuff, too. So it's going to be fun. So thank you so much, Tom. Uh, always a pleasure. Mike, fantastic to make your acquaintance. We are definitely going to have to do more of this and have uh, more conversations. I, I look forward to any type of live stream that you do on Oscar night. I, I'm in for that. We're strictly kind of a podcast these days. we got grand plans for YouTube someday. Gotcha. But, uh, we'll just we, live we, tweet then. We, we actually will live tweet, and I think we're back in person this year, Mike and I. So we'll, we'll have our Oscars party, and then we will uh, we will record right after the Oscars oh, fantastic. Come to a close. Fantastic! Fantastic! Fantastic. I I look forward to that more than the Oscars. If I'm if I'm (laughs) if I am being so blunt, Um, but yes, thank thank you guys again so much uh, for being here, and uh, thank you uh, anyone who who is currently listening to this. I really appreciate that. If you want to follow me uh, at Perpetual Cinema for Twitter, Perpetual Cinema Podcast at Gmail dot com. If you want to uh, email me. Any expletives, corrections, or just general put-downs, all I ask is that you be creative. I have depression. I've come up with better ones than you. Um, uh, And with that being said, guys, this is Perpetual Cinema. Make sure that you continue watching cinema, sharing cinema, and talking cinema, because the way we keep this going is through us. Thank you and good night.